What's up, Weber Warriors? We are back with our first podcast since winter break. We hope you guys had a great holiday, New Year with your families and that you guys were all safe in your travels. Super excited. Our first podcast back in the new year in 2022 is with head track and field coach Caleb Wisecarver. Super excited to have him onto the podcast uh, for our very first in 2022. They're getting ready for their season. And so if you don't mind giving us a little bit of background about yourself. Yeah, man. I mean, uh, excited to be here. Listen to a couple of podcasts in the past couple of weeks. So I'm uh, excited to get on one. <laughs> That's awesome. So I, you know, I, uh, I read your bio a little bit. And I kind of wanted to get started you know i saw that you were a d1 pole vaulter at the university of louisiana at lafayette so i kind of just wanted to ask you a little bit about you know what your experience was you know uh, as a d1 athlete how um how you know how it was in terms of um you know being a pole vaulter at such a high level and how you know maybe you got there and how it was once you were there sure so i was i was really fortunate to have a lot of good coaches early on in life. Um, I went to a private K through 12 school. So I had the same coach from sixth grade all the way through my senior year of high school. So I was fortunate in that he was a really good coach. He kind of pointed me in the right direction and then um, kind of foster both the love for the sport and then also just happened to be gifted in the things I needed to um, to excel at the high school level. I was kind of just on the verge of being a division one pole vaulter, to be honest. I ended up walking on at the University of Louisiana Lafayette but they treated me super well. I competed there for four years. had a really good coach there who took care of me and also kind of helped me early on in my coaching career, kind of get things started once. I mean, there was never a, there's not really a big professional track world to begin with, but much less for myself, that was kind of never in the picture. So once I knew coaching was part of the thing, I took everything I learned on the track and kind of brought it into the coaching as well. That's awesome. And, you know, you mentioned that you were a walk-on, and I think a lot of people – don't realize I think any sport being a walk-on isn't easy because you know you weren't really looked at coming out of high school you're kind of just going and telling the coach like just look at me for two seconds yeah you know so I mean I I, I really think that's awesome that you walked on and were able to you know what once you walked on stay for four years because a lot of people they try to walk on and a lot of times don't make it past tryouts or yeah. something like that you know they, or they're there for a, a week or two and then they're just like this isn't for me yeah so that uh, a lot of respect to you so after uh you know you talked about coaching um your latest stop before weber you were at a d2 the university of north carolina at pembroke so you know how uh, explain to our listeners a little bit about your time while you were there yeah sure so i spent three seasons at the university of north carolina at pembroke again super fortunate to have some good people over me i was an assistant coach there um underneath dr peter ormsby who was formerly head coach here at weber which is fast forward a little bit kind of ended up how i ended up at weber but um, they took care of me really well. That was my first stop along college coaching. I did a year of high school coaching before that, but three years at Pembroke was really good to me, especially kind of getting my feet on the ground, understanding what the difference is in high school versus college coaching. Also a little bit different at the Division two level versus kind of what I had been used to as an athlete at the Division one level. Not huge differences, but again, some things that you see here and there, the level of athletes, there's a little small differences in um, three years at the University of North Carolina at Pembroke were pretty good for me to kind of get my feet under me and learn how I wanted to be as a coach. Do you think having that experience uh, at the Division One level as a athlete maybe helped the transition to Division II? Like, as you said, not a lot of differences, but just kind of already seeing, you know, kind of how things worked and especially like being at that high of a level, you think it just made that transition a little bit easier for you? Yeah, absolutely. And I I think good programs, there's there's less of a, a gap between the Division One and the Division Two level, um, especially from kind of
kind of the mental side of things. The, the standard is always high for a competitive program, no matter what the level is. But you see, you see that a little more commonly at the Division One level, and that's kind of why you get better competitors, better coaches at that level sometimes. So um, having seen that for four years, kind of the standard my team was held to that I competed on, I've kind of carried that throughout all programs I've been involved with too. Yeah, and you know, I, I, I when I was doing my research, I saw you helped coach that team had about twenty national qualifiers, and that's a lot. You know, you think about a track and field team. So, you know, what were some of the things while you were there that maybe your the staff did, or just some of the things you guys did as a whole that got it to where you had twenty athletes qualify for nationals? Yeah, I mean, one thing that helps is a little bit differently than we have here at Weber, we had a pretty big track team. So we, the, my last year there, we were recruiting really hard and we had 90 student athletes. So um, you're talking 40 women in that case, 50 men. So obviously that gives you more opportunities to have those studs. But at the same time, we had a really good situation in which we had four super competent coaches who all kind of ran their groups. And we had a good director who was over us, who kind of let us do what we thought was best. We weren't micromanaged. We kind of, um, we kind of all had our own separate teams in a way, and then we all come together, um, both at practice and in meets, but to kind of all achieve the common goal of winning conference titles and then moving on to the national level. Yeah. So this year is going to be your second year as head coach. In your first year, you actually led the team to two All American status in two separate events, mm-hmm. and I think you know coming in in your first year and doing that right off the bat, that's huge. And, you know, you have the background experience and the knowledge to do that. But my question was, coming in in your first year, what was kind of some of the things that when you came in, you said, I want to do this, this, and this with this team this year um, to, like, set the tone for what I want to do with this program? Yeah, I mean, that's a tough question because coming into a program, you can look at everything you can on a piece of paper, and it doesn't necessarily tell you anything about the athletes you have on the team. So it was, there was definitely a bit of a learning process, um, both for the athletes and myself early on, learning how I communicate, me learning what's best for them, how we progress as the year goes on. And we definitely had some hiccups, especially in the early season. I mean, I think this year compared to last year, last year our indoor season will be completely different because we've kind of had uh, more time for the older ones to kind of understand how I run things. And there's uh, less of a process that, I'm kind of learning how to communicate with them as well. So that being said, um, the the numbers at the end of the season look great, but it's not it's not without its hurdles along the way. So yeah. um, it's just a process in my mind. Every every individual on our track team is all reaching towards a common goal, but they all need separate things because at the end of the day, it's not necessarily a team sport in that you're the only one who lines up on a line. You're the only one who's going to take your jumps, whatever event you're in everybody's going to need something a little more specific. So try and tailor my coaching style to the individuals has worked pretty well for me over the time. That's awesome. And, you know, kind of uh, touching about how you were saying when you got when you were at the University of North Carolina, Pembroke, how you guys recruited hard. So like you said, when you came here, track and field team wasn't didn't have as many uh, athletes as you guys did there. So since you've been here, have you kind of made that an emphasis or a point of focus of try to recruit maybe a little bit harder than past coaches? Or what has your recruiting uh, philosophy been since you've been here? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the of course, track numbers always matter. You're, you're not going to recruit kids who, who can't play, who can't run, who can't jump, whatever the event is going to be. But at the same time, you got to make sure you're recruiting the right kids. So um, that being said, finding kids who want to be here at the NAI level, 
Um, maybe you're finding some kids who are underdeveloped, maybe overlooked, um, but find people that are hungry and want to work. And I think um, we've got a good group of freshmen this year that have kind of shown that already. Some of our early season performances from our December meet look pretty good. So, um, yeah, I mean, recruiting is always part of the process. You can't win. You can't win anything yeah. if you don't recruit. So, um, to say that I have a strict recruiting philosophy probably isn't isn't true. But at the same time, you're always trying to recruit the right people for your team, um, and sometimes that changes over time as well. Sometimes you realize you need a couple more leaders on the team, even if the stats don't necessarily line up. You know, you need some people who are going to be pushing the rest of the group. Um, and then sometimes you you need those raw numbers as well. Sometimes you got the leaders, and then you just need the horses. Yeah, no, yeah, for sure. So you know, I think you. Um, one thing I've been. This is my senior year here, and I've been here for three years. One thing I've noticed with the track and field team is you decided last year. I think you were mainly doing it by yourself. This year, you've brought on an assistant coach, and so. How has that helped in terms of maybe running practices or things like that, having someone else to help out? Yeah, so um, our track and field team and cross-country team obviously have a lot of overlap. But in, in recent years, the way I understand it is that they've been fairly separated. But uh, we've been pretty fortunate in this, in this year to bring in Coach Mangan to work with the cross-country side, and then he helps out on the track as well. Um, and having somebody who wants to be super involved during the track season as well as the cross country season, which they're two separate semesters. So it's easy to separate them if you wanted to. But um, Coach Manga is fully on board with the track team as well. And it's, I think it's super helpful for, for us just to even just have another set of ears if someone has a complaint about the way practice is going or whatever that is. Um, my athletes all know that they can come and talk to me, but at the same time, those aren't always going to be comfortable conversations to yeah. have with your coach. So yeah, sometimes sure. it helps to have another set of ears. So, you know, you guys, like you said, last last season you guys had your bumps in the road, but you were able to kind of pull through and have a pretty successful season in, in the end. So going into this 2022 season, uh, you have a year under your belt as a head coach at Weber. What are kind of, you know, the team goals or things like that? When you guys got together for your meeting, you said, this is what we want to do. And I know for track, you know, you have a lot. It's it's an individual sport, you know, in terms of, you know, you could have one guy be a national champ and the team as a whole is or something like sure. that. So, but like team wise, what were some of the goals you guys set up for this season? Yeah. I mean, I think our, our team goals are going to be a little bit fluid this year. Um, being a smaller team, being a very young team, I think we have a, a big range of what we can do. We definitely could underperform if some of these freshmen don't step up, but from what I've seen so far, the sky's the limit with the group we have now. Kind of the last piece we're missing and the thing that's going to have to happen over the next couple of years with recruiting classes and things is we're just going to have to continue to build as a team if we want to compete for conference titles. But I think that we can definitely be a top five team in this conference, and I think that's kind of one of our goals going into this indoor and outdoor season. That's awesome. So I want to end. I don't know a lot about track and field. It's, and, you know, at, in high school, um, we only had, I don't know if this is like nationwide or maybe it's just my high school, just Florida. We only had an outdoor season, I'm pretty sure. Mm -hmm. So what are your, but like, what are the differences between outdoor and indoor track and field? Like, is it just the fact that you're inside and outside or are there like other differences? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely the main difference. Um, there are some events that you don't do indoors. Um, that you do outdoors or the other way around. So instead of a 100-meter dash, which is kind of the most iconic outdoor track and field event, you run a 60-meter dash indoors because usually you just don't have 100 meters worth of straightaway. Yeah. Um, 
the tracks are smaller on an indoor track. Um, so you're running two laps to run a 400 meters rather than one lap. Um, they don't throw javelin because who's going to throw javelin inside a gymnasium? Yeah. Yeah. But, um, in general, we treat it the same. Like sprinters still have to run fast. Jumpers yeah. still have to jump for. So a lot of the training doesn't look any different. There's just small little things that you have to know going into the meet, maybe planning for races that are a little bit different or knowing that the the track being smaller, you're going to have to attack a race a little bit differently. Um, it's just important to know. And it's not it's not just your high school, yeah. especially the state of Florida isn't big on indoor seasons. Um, it's kind of a more of a thing as you start to travel north a little bit, places that actually need it. Yeah. Florida, it was 75 degrees up until yesterday. Yeah. So we, it, we don't have a problem being outside, but... That said, they're, they're separate seasons, but they kind of meld together in a way because the end of indoor season is one week away from the start of outdoor season. Got so it. the whole thing kind of yeah. runs together. Well, awesome. Again, thank you for joining us. Uh, you guys, make sure to check in next week. Abigail is going to be on with uh, another episode of the podcast. And as always, go Warriors.